This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. 9.16 our time. Bob is indeed joining us. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Bruce. Nice to have you on board here. Good to have you as well. Why don't you introduce your special guest and let's make sure this works. Okay. <laughs> You know, Bruce, instead of as well as uh, knowing all you know about sports, you got to know a little bit about technology, because today I'm linking in a colleague of mine, an agriculturist, uh, University of Minnesota Extension Service, uh, Troy Salzer. Are you with us, Troy? Good morning, Bob. How are you today? We're real fine. Thank you. I'm very pleased that uh, Troy can join us, because he has a perspective that many of us do not have. Uh, he's very well uh, educated in the realm of uh, agriculture, agronomy, horticulture, and he also, um, he's got some dirt under his fingernails. He's out there and he's a farmer as well, so he can share some perspectives. And I thought today, you know, Troy, I, we want some of your insights because uh, everyone in the world really is dealing with food inflation, and I think a part of that came about because of the uh the shortfall in grain that came out uh, uh, to the world with the conflict in Ukraine. We lost about 13% of the world's calories, most of that from grain in the process. So we're all dealing with higher food prices. So maybe, Troy, you could just give us your perspective from an agriculture standpoint of where we are now and where we are going forward and what we can anticipate in terms of uh, future prices at the grocery store. And then we're going to morph this back into a discussion on what we can do in the home garden maybe to help ourselves out a little bit through this period of inflation. Your take on uh, world food prices, Troy? So, uh, uh, first of all, for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to be here today, and, and uh, your words are very kind uh, in relationship to uh, my background uh as far as the uh, overall world uh, food uh, and grain production process, um, currently we are utilizing um, uh, our grains here in the United States um, um, much for for food, but we also use them to uh, raise livestock, and we also generate uh, biofuels with. Uh, a significant quantity of the grains that we produce here in the United States. Um, all of these different uh, components pulling on uh, our grain supply causes us to utilize uh, world supplies uh, related to uh, this grain production. And, and as we move forward, we look at other countries, other places, uh, and the impact that um, weather events have had on um, different regions and, and how that, um, because of the aspects of um, world production, how it impacts uh, uh, not only the price, but how we move product much more efficiently today to uh, uh, address that. Now, um, with uh, Ukraine being such a large grain producer, it really has impacted negatively um, on a shortcoming in relationship to the amount of uh, grain available. Um, primarily, uh, yes, production is down, but also it's a function of uh, us being able to get a hold of that grain and utilize it on a world uh, worldwide basis. And therefore, we've seen uh, dramatic, 
dramatic increases in uh, our grain prices uh, here locally um, and in that process ultimately seen inflationary impact uh, in regards to our food supply. That's great, Troy. You know, I had kind of forgotten about the fact that a lot of this grain does go into ethanol production, which gets mixed into all of our, every time we fill up uh, cars at the, at the service station there, uh, there's an impact. There's some corn going into our tanks as well. So uh, it's a pretty important crop to us. Well, what do you think uh, going forward here? Uh, what are the plans as you see it for our major grain producers in the United States? Are we going to Again, try to plant as much as we can, and I know we've got a revolution in what we call precision agriculture, and the American farmers leading the way that way. Uh, what's your take uh, going forward in this season? Are are people planning to really plant, Troy? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt there has been some movement or um, internal um, um, flexing in relationship to are they going to be planting corn, beans, what is the crop that they're going to plant based on uh, financial uh, factors, not only in relationship to the uh, revenue per acre, gross revenue, but also it comes into play is where are the uh, input costs related to um, each of those uh, particular crops. Uh, There was a fairly substantial shift last year from uh, corn to beans uh, in that uh, situation primarily because fertilizer prices were high last year uh, and uh, that has softened uh, as of late but um, in addition to that um, uh, the bean prices uh, due to um, uh, the demand for beans uh, was quite high and uh, we saw that shift um, allowing the farmers to have less overall input costs, but uh, nearly the same amount of uh, gross revenue uh, per acre uh, based on uh, spring planting predictions in relationship to that. Now, overall, the season did show uh, that that did happen um, um, pretty significantly if they uh, protected their their crop using uh, things like futures and such. Um, but ultimately, um, the crop did well, and uh, and now we're setting up for a similar scenario with the farmers looking at what options they have on the table and how fertilizer prices have changed again um, coming into this planting season uh, from that standpoint. Great. You know, you give us a little feel for just really the decision-making process and the great thing is uh, we've got a lot of independent producers that are trying to make the best decision for their own farms, and consequently the net result is a lot of producti- productivity uh, from uh, the American farmer. Uh, Troy, can we talk a little bit? Uh, you know, so much of grain production and actually agricultural production is dependent upon moisture, and we've talked about that, and it's one of the real key critical things. We've got a lot of snow out there. Can you give us your feeling on uh how uh, this is going to impact our planting plans here in northern Minnesota. Well, before we do that, Bob, I think it's important to look at where uh, where we are at in comparison to uh, other folks. We are currently in a great state. Uh, you know, last, last spring we really went into the summer very short on groundwater supply. 
this year, uh, with uh, very little uh, frost in the ground, we are going to end up with a majority of the moisture that is in the snow ending up in our uh, soil uh, growing root zone uh, because as that melts, uh, it will, in essence, um, be absorbed by the soil and not run off because the ground is frozen. So I'm really feeling good about that uh, for our region. Uh, we needed that um, because we have been uh, relatively short in, in certain parts of uh, northeastern Minnesota. Nationally, we still are struggling a bit from the standpoint of uh, uh, there are certain regions that haven't received the moisture, and so um, that that is the case. But um, our major uh, crop growing areas have received good or adequate moisture, um, prepping them for this coming season. Um, coming back to northeastern Minnesota, I'm really excited about um, what this could allow uh, for in relationship to um, what what we are doing now. Having said that, we have the ability to turn water on, but I also think it's valuable for people to think about ways in which to uh, strategically use uh, moisture-conserving ideas uh, and concepts like mulches and, and such, fully irrigation uh, along those lines, Bob. Right. I think I think that's great. That's a good perspective. Uh, you know, we've all fought the winter weather a little bit, even up to yesterday. Uh, Troy happens to reside down in Carlton County. You had quite a bit of snow yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, we actually ended up with somewhere around seven inches, uh, uh, ultimately. And if you go even uh, uh, 15 miles from the Wrench Hall, Barnum area, um, to the south and to the west, it only ended up at a couple. But, you know... Um, we gotta we gotta appreciate that snow because of uh, the moisture that it is going to contribute for our next growing season. That's right. I appreciate that. Both Troy and I have uh, have backgrounds uh, a little bit in agriculture, and I can remember on my grandfather's farm as a little guy, and it was wet and rainy, and I wasn't cold and whining probably a little bit. I was four years old. He said, remember one thing, when you're farming or gardening, you never curse the rain. Wouldn't you agree with that, Troy? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I have a lot of farmers that I work with that, uh, especially when they're trying to put up dry hay, curse the rain. And I say, at least you have some uh, hay to put up if you've got rain. That's right. You know, I think we're going to take a little break here because I promised we're going to move into uh, gardening talk and what people can do with their gardens this year. We've got a major conference coming up tomorrow in Mount Iron. We'll talk a little bit about that. But the great thing is we have some options, and one of those is to grow some of your own. So, Bruce, we'll give you a little chance for a break here, then we'll get back into uh discussion which i think will really involve a lot of our listeners all right that sounds good bob that is perfectly fine by me it's 927 right now more to come with bob olin 937 at kdal bob hello thank you for holding you bet it's uh, my pleasure and you know we're going to get back to doing some gardening here how that sound bruce i think it sounds like a plan you got about uh, 15 minutes or so before you get left in the show all right Good. Can we do? We'll do that block. And I still have uh, my colleague on the line. I'm assuming Troy. Uh, that is correct. Thanks, Bob. Great. Great. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, a gardening program we have 
Uh, we're going to be conducting tomorrow called the uh, Mount Iron Spring Spectacular. It's at the Mount Iron Community Center just west of uh, Virginia. And we are going to really be taking a look at some of the research-based information that we want to get out to people. Obviously, um, you know, we're about uh, horticulture and gardening and my part of this. And uh, the garden now can really help a little bit with the family food budget. It's kind of interesting. There were times here when uh, people were really gardening uh, just to put some food on the plate. It goes back a long time. We had a lot of major potato and cabbage production. There were mainstays. They kept families alive in the area. And uh, now we've got higher prices. People switch their gardening because they enjoy it, I'm sure, as a hobby. They love the freshness. They love the food security that comes from uh, producing your own. And economics kind of uh, took a back seat. But uh, that may be changing here a little bit because you can definitely, particularly if you're interested in a high-quality uh, diet, you can definitely sub supplement the uh, family food budget by growing some of your own. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. We'll give you some details on the conference we have coming up. Troy's going to join us as, as well. He's put it together for us up there, and we're going to have a, a real good time with this. You know, we're going to lead off a little bit with the discussion of all-American plant selections. People should know a little bit about that. This is a this is a marketing process that's been going on for a long, long time, since 1932. We've had this designation, all-American plant selections, and anyone that opens a uh, a seed catalog will see that designation on many, many varieties. These are varieties at the breeders at public institutions like the University of Minnesota, University of Wisconsin. So many land grant institutions actually have breeding programs in their horticultural departments. They develop seed. They get out. They get sent out throughout the United States for trial uh, in trial gardens. These are evaluated in the best of the best. Get this uh, designation, all American plant selections. Now, we take a look at these because they obviously are standout, but they may not do as well for us in this region. We are very far north compared to the rest of the United States, certainly. But uh, they've caught the breeders' attention, and they've been evaluated, so we, we love to put them in trial, and we've found so many of them do work well for us. Some do not. But uh, as an example for this year, and we're going to feature and show a lot about what's coming up, we've got a new a paste tomato called Zenzai, Z-E-N-E-I. And the reason that one is so interesting to me is it's actually a bushy indeterminate. The problem with paste tomatoes, as with cherry tomatoes, is they're these long, gangly plants that, that grow indiscriminately. They're hard to manage, hard to maintain, hard to stake, hard to cage. But this one is a stout plant, very nice fruit. These are the descriptions and what they found in, in other trials. We're going to take a look at that and see if, in fact, this is the case and if we can get them ripened for us in northern Minnesota. Troy, you're going to talk a little bit about soil fertility. Uh, we are aware that uh, this is one of the major components of successfully growing plants, whether it be agriculture or whether it be horticulture, garden plants, uh, along with the moisture we talked about. Probably number two, here comes soil fertility. So, you're going to give us a little bit of a deep discussion of the importance of this and where you can get those nutrients from. Is that correct, Troy? Uh, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what we're planning to do. Uh, I hope you address some of the importance of uh, how these nutrients really uh, go ahead and uh, change uh, how the plants can grow and how it can naturally fight off insects and diseases. But additionally to that, we're also uh, 
going to show some symptoms of uh, what you might see if you do have deficiencies. The importance of soil testing uh, and the aspects of how we can get uh, the nutrients that we need for our plants to grow successfully, either um, commercial fertilizer or in the form of organic, if, uh, if that's the approach that you would like to uh like to uh, utilize in relationship to supplying those nutrients. So getting your uh, soil uh, in line uh, really is the basis of having a successful crop. Very, very critical. And and with Troy's expertise, uh, it's going to be real interesting in evaluating soil tests, soil testing, and so forth. we got such a full day, but I'm going to give you a couple other little uh, insights into what we're going to talk about. we got a part of the program called Putting uh, Color on Your Plate. We've talked about this on the show before. There are so many different varieties from potatoes to now cauliflower where we're bringing uh, very vivid colors. With the vivid colors come these antioxidants. In the case of uh, cauliflower, which I'll be discussing, we've got a new bunch out here. They came from mutation. We've got orange cauliflower. We've got purple cauliflower. Uh, they look so attractive, but they're also very, very nutrient-dense. We'll be talking about that, how to grow them, the varieties we found in our trials that are the most successful. And with cauliflower, they're a very nutritious crop, but uh, they become suddenly very popular. So we've got uh, cauliflower pizza crusts and cauliflower uh, steaks now, and we also have one of the major uh, fast food changes, uh, chains in the country, Chick-fil-A, their first vegetarian Entree on their menu is a modified cauliflower or something that they're putting on <laughs> between a bun. And I was totally shocked to read that, but I've been told that it tastes spectacular. Maybe not quite as good as the chicken from my perspective, but certainly it gives you a vegetarian option. We're going to talk about that. Uh, the, the, the other great thing is we've got other people that are going to contribute, putting color into your landscape. A lot of discussion about flowers, perennials, annuals. Uh, we've got commercial growers in the north part of the county that are going to join us for that discussion, discussion on tree fruits, what are the best uh, apples, pears, cherry varieties that you can grow in the area. Then I'm going to bring all of our commercial producers together, and Troy's going to actually uh, conduct this discussion on those gardening gardening techniques that change their gardening life. Where was that aha moment? Uh, you want to discuss that for a minute, uh, Troy? Yeah, I really uh, think that um, these individuals that we've got lined up for uh, folks are individuals that have many, many years of experience uh, gardening. And I think that these are the sort of things that all of us can take home with us in relationship to improving the overall um, um, enjoyment that we get from uh growing uh, vegetables, growing uh, crops. Maybe it is uh, the aspect of adding pollinator habitat uh, uh, to your landscape or adjusting, uh, adjusting uh, the way in which you use mulches to make your gardening experience uh, not only easier but also more aesthetically pleasing. So things like that will be what... Uh, this group will be uh, focusing on, Bob. Great. And, you know, I'm going to sit back and listen to that. Um, I've been teased by a couple of people participating in this panel. They said uh, you challenge us to come up with some ideas that uh, really will change their gardening life. 
And they're not going to tell me this, that you'll have to come to the day. So I'll be there, and I'll be there uh, listening and learning from people, many of whom have 30, 40, 50 years of commercial growing experience. These are going to be great people that are going to help us out. Then uh, we, we are going to talk a little bit about potatoes. I mentioned the fact that potatoes really did uh, we're a mainstay. Uh, we can grow them easily. We're going to get both Irish potatoes and sweet potatoes. The Irish potatoes, cool season crop. The sweet potatoes, a very warm season crop. Both Troy and I have had experience with both of these crops. We're going to share our insights, the trial work we've done, how you grow these things. Touch briefly on uh, on the Irish potato. Uh, Troy, you're going to handle that discussion. Yeah, I. Uh, one of the components that I think super interesting in relationship to Irish potatoes is the component of where they were derived from, uh, how we um, modified them uh, to be um, the perfect uh, uh, color, uh, white in nature, uh, how we utilize them. But there's so much more in that potato species that we can uh, capture from the the different colors uh, that are available to us today. Uh, and uh, providing us those, uh, those antioxidants uh, in that process. Uh, additionally, we'll go into um, just the overall uh, growing characteristics, uh, once again, focusing on things like soil fertility and how we can plant them green, maybe using uh, uh, less tillage uh, in our gardens, um, all ways in which to uh, um successful growing those uh, potatoes and then thinking about how to go and put them into storage for later use and and uh, uh, actually having a much higher quality uh, potato when you're utilizing it throughout the winter uh, or, or um, uh, later in the season. Yeah, that's great. There's a lot to learn there and a lot has changed. It's kind of interesting you talk about the colored varieties. These are the originals loaded with nutrients, antioxidants, lower glycemic index. So the purples and the and the red flesh varieties, and of course Yukon Gold or yellow flesh varieties, come on the scene uh, quite dramatically recently. We're going to bring you up to date on some of that as well. Sweet potatoes, that very interesting crop. I've tried to grow it and I've grown it successfully. You have to be very careful about varieties there. You have to be very careful about when you set them out, how you handle the slips. Sweet potato and Irish potatoes are uh, they're only alike in that word potatoes. They're totally different crops handled totally differently. They're not at all related. And uh, the sweet potato is a root that you, we've got to grow with. We plant slips where the Irish potato stem tissue, where we actually plant the stem. So we're going to clarify that. We are going to show you how to grow sweet potatoes in northern Minnesota. Then we're going to kind of wrap the day up. We had an issue, a couple of issues, uh, Bruce, last year, particularly in the northern part of St. Louis County. Late blight hit our t- tomato crop very dramatically, took down a lot of tomatoes and potatoes as well. And then we've had, uh, we've seen another uh virus problem called the tomato spotted wilt virus. It's spread throughout the country. We saw it for the first time in our trials last year. And uh, a lot of these disease issues come from the south. They work their way north, particularly on a warm season crop. So we saw that for the first time. So we're going to give people a a heads up on what to look for, uh, the varieties that have uh, genetic resistance, and then uh, how they can manage so that we don't have certainly have a, a problem, do what we can to minimize any potential damage from these rather devastating tomato diseases. Tomato being 
other than potatoes, the number one horticulture crop because we put so many in the French fries. But in the backyard garden, the number one crop is tomatoes. So we are going to be talking about that. And with that, we've got our new tomato varieties. We're going to give people a, a reference package that will include uh, discussion on tomatoes, the new varieties, what to look for, as well as uh, a complete both uh, fruit and vegetable variety recommended lists. We have that. We have a boatload of other uh, handout material that we've developed specific for this event. So that's going to be tomorrow. It's going to run from 10 in the morning, the, the conference itself. You can register at 9.15. It'll run until 3.30. It's a full day with lots of different speakers. Uh, there is a charge because in St. Louis County, we have to cover the costs of doing the program. That's all. But there's a $25 charge. You're going to get a great uh, catered noon meal as well as all of this content. So it's very, very inexpensive. You're going to get good value. If people, we still have some room there, although we've got a very good pre-registration, but uh, we have some capacity yet. If people want to get on board, we just have to have uh, your indication. You can pay at the door. But uh, you got to call us, 218-749-7120, uh, just so we get a head count. Or you can take a look at some more details on the website, and there's a, what we call a Z-Link. There you can Google St. Louis County Extension Service, and there'll be information there. Or there's a Z-Link, z.umn, for University of Minnesota, .edu, front slash s LC, St. Louis County Garden. So there's lots of good information about the program there. We are looking forward to it. Uh, Troy will join us as well as four other speakers that are going to be part of the program. It's going to be a fun day. We're going to share with you a lot of the research that we've done. So, Bruce, uh, there's a lot going on. We're looking forward to the gardening season. We're going to have good moisture coming in. We've got new varieties we're going to talk about that we're excited to plant. And uh, we're going to try to help people just a little bit with their, their food budgets and certainly with good nutrition and the enjoyment that comes from gardening. All right, gentlemen, sounds good. I hope everything goes well. We'll have a very good day. I'm very pleased that uh, Troy was able to join us today with his insights in agriculture, and we're both looking forward to seeing people again. Give us a heads up, 218-749-7120. Let us know if you want to come, 218 218- Seven four nine seven one two zero. We're going to see Lottie out there tomorrow at the Mount Iron Community Center just before ten. Thank you, Troy, and thank you, Bruce. All right, thank you, gentlemen. We really appreciate it. Bob will talk to you once again next Tuesday.